So if you want to connect, you have to learn what connects. And what connects is non-judgmental listening, non-critical talking, and communicating around and beyond your differences. Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Our guests today are the creators of Imago Relationship Therapy, a form of couples therapy focused on helping couples understand each other more deeply and engage in structured conversations that build safety rather than disconnection when tensions arise. Here to talk to us today about how couples can build safety and connection while accepting their differences are Drs. Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt. So welcome, Helen and Harville Hendricks. It's so nice to see you again. We're glad to be here. Yes, wonderful to be here. Yes, so glad to have you. So it's pretty unprecedented circumstances that we're seeing you under. Um, Just want to check in and see how you two have been doing during COVID, where where the two of you are right now. We're in front of our uh, computers. (laughs) As we all are. We are all over the world. We live in Dallas right now, but we are all over the world, and we are both introverts, and we are in heaven. I mean, I speak for myself. Are are you in heaven not having to get on planes? Yeah, I was going to say we, and I, yeah. Well, I, I, I join Helen in that, that we're both introverts, and so consequently, and I feel personally a little guilty about enjoying the isolation that's been imposed on me. But I have mm-hmm. such an excuse. I cannot travel, um, and I don't like to travel, so um, I feel great about it. And and now that, that I heard that by July we'll probably be back to quote normal, <laughs> uh, then there are people waiting in the fall, August, September, October, and November. Uh, shall we go to South Africa? Shall we go to North Carolina? And they were all set up for Zoom, and now we may have to be on a plane. So anyway, that's sort of sort of it. But we're doing well. We have our shots, but and we, we don't have, go out. And, and we, it we is because, because we, have, we have not socialized. We have our groceries delivered by Whole Foods, so we don't even go grocery shopping. So we have taken seriously masks, hand washing, and distance. And I think we've had five dinners in a restaurant with a huge table uh, out in since last March. Right, uh, with, and with in the grandchildren and things like that. We yeah. do not yeah. go, we do not socialize in person. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thanks for asking. And you all, have y'all, are y'all well? We, yeah, I am, yeah. I'm actually in Louisiana right now of all places, uh, temporarily. And I have my shot and my partner Chris has his shot. So we're doing, we're doing well. But still very much in a quarantine kind of state of mind, still not socializing that much. And yeah, yeah. It's been a nice hiatus, I agree. I mean, as, as challenging as this year has been, it's like a real timeout, a real break. It's been good for reflecting. It's been nice for kind of self-centering. So I've, I've appreciated that too. I, I connect with that. Yeah. And I think it's gonna be a big adjustment going back into, you know, normal life again, just as it was a big adjustment going into quarantine, I think it'll it'll be just as big of an adjustment going back. So I'm curious, just because we're talking about couples today and relationships, what it's been like for the two of you being uh, together so much for this past year and not traveling like you normally do. I think it's just been fabulous. Yeah. Well, and, you know, we work together and have for two, three decades anyway. Um, so working together uh, is sort of norm for us. Uh, and, but This year we celebrate Christmas and it was my first time to think about Christmas. And I'm doing the same with Easter. I didn't get presents for any family. I usually am okay, do we have the right gift? Do we have the right card? Horrible, you have to sign this card. <laughs> but, 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 and I just got to 
Yes. Worship. So we sent, we sent spiritual gifts instead of physical ones. <laughs> well, and, uh, <laughs> you made it connect. Yeah, I mean, and a, a gift card. And gift card. They can buy what they want and they need. Like we have a daughter and son who are in Rome for two years mm -hmm. and they went there and then the COVID happened. They have six kids. So mm -hmm. we have six grandkids at home. Well, usually I'm racing around every grand and then we have a lot of other kids. We were alone this year. <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. So I just love that. Yeah. So we have evenings together and without any disruptions. And it's been great. It's been great. Well, we almost divorced 20 years ago. And so in our workshops, we talk about we had the blended family from hell. And I kept dragging Harvard to therapy and we kept firing therapists. The last therapist fired us and called us the couple from hell. And anyway, we almost divorced. And we have a great, close, wonderful relationship and family so it's a real a real cause for us to you know miracles can sometimes happen if you use the process yeah can you tell us more about that how the two of you reconnected with each other i fell in love when i was dating harville and he told me about a book he wanted to write and both of us had been divorced and i was determined to marry the next person uh, I mean, to propose to, to the next propose person. To the next so I person. proposed to him. And I said, I, would you marry me? And I'd love to help you get the book written. So the book got written. And six weeks after it came out, I thought, who's going to buy it? He wanted my name on the cover. And I said, Harville, you're a sharecropper son from South Georgia. My name is more well known. Just your name. Well, six weeks later, Oprah called. And she took his show and submitted it to the Emmy Committee and it won Oprah's first Emmy. So the sh show, the first Emmy, so she had him on 17 times. So the book was successful. I adored his parenting. Um, I love parenting. We had two more kids. So you'd think everything would be happy, but problems crept in. Especially since we wrote the textbook on getting a love you want, you know, how, how a marriage works, you'd think we would be doing it. And we tell people in our workshops, I talk about what I did wrong. But anyway, well, I, well, I, I figured out. But anyway, I, I thought, I thought he it. was the problem, so I kept dragging him yeah. to therapist well, I was, to fix him. I was. You were correct. No, I, I, I um, was a big part of the problem. And, but we kept firing therapists because we were smarter than them, right? And uh, fired this well, one, fired thought. that one, fired that one, and the last one fired us and called us the couple from hell. So we had no choice but go to a divorce lawyer. I mean, announced to our family. Yeah, we, were, uh, we were considered untreatable. And we have announced wow. to the global Imago family at their annual global meeting. We stood up at the end and just said, we respect you too much not to let you know. We teach it, we don't do it, and we're getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. And we went and sat down and the room was silent. And then we changed, we added a few things in the next couple months. And we had a remarriage, we had a recommitment ceremony. We've, we have recommitted to marriage in this last 20 years, we have the marriage of our dreams. So, and what I love telling other, I don't want anyone to feel like they need to give up. That, mm -hmm. that Harville and Helen could talk about healthy relationships. It's easy for them to do it. It wasn't easy for, for I'm, I'm married to a jerk, and my, this jerky partner of mine is never gonna do this. Well, we, we, I was pretty jerky. No, but not I jerky I was pretty jerky. I, we were both pretty <laughs> jerky. We, and so we, we want that story to give hope to any, if they hear that story, you know, we hope they'll keep trying. That's such an important message to send to everyone that, you know, even the experts struggle, right? We all struggle in relationships sometimes. It's, it's, it can be work sometimes for everybody. It was just, the, I thought, it was, oh, two divorces. I thought it was the worst moment of my life. And now that I can be transparent about what really happened, I, I am so hoping that our lives can give hope to anybody. So, I, uh, Helen, I'm just thinking, I've thought about this before, of adding, and you can elaborate on a couple of things that made the difference. And I think one of them was, in, in, uh, in, a couple, in all therapy, you talk about differentiation. Mm -hmm. 
that most of us fuse other people with us, and we call symbiosis, and we think, I think you think what I think, and we don't think what I think you should think, then you're different, and that is not okay. And so what Helen did was um, uh, got interested in and was reading, uh, sort of accidentally, about brain science and discovered um, and you want to tell that story about separate and connected knowing? Uh, well, I uh, as Harville was evolving um, the theory of dialogue, uh, Imago, um, that I fell in love with and him, um, I was reading the feminist epistemologist and uh, Carol Gilligan had said, you know, the field of psychology, the goal is to move from um, a connected baby fusion to ind- you know, more autonomy and independence. Uh, the baby is fused with the parents for years until it can stand and walk alone and be independent and autonomous. And she went, I don't think that's the goal of mental health. Everyone says that's the goal of mental health. I think the goal of mental health should be healthy connection. So I was reading her while I was walking, talking with Harville about the, mm-hmm. the Mago. And, um, and oh, and so then when we were divorcing, I read a book on feminist epistemology that uh, there's a separate knowing and there's a connected knowing. Left brain knowing is separate knowing and right brain knowing is intuitive connected knowing and I went to Harville and I said oh Harville maybe we don't need a divorce maybe we need brain surgery I am so fuzzy (laughs) when I talk to you I'm fuzzy 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 I'm right brain and you love developing the theory but you don't particularly like doing it but you like to do the theory and teach it but that's left brain and maybe you need to become more right brain and I need to become left brain and he loved that idea yeah, that we so, needed you know, a neuroplasticity so, we think could help any couple. Yeah. So that was the differentiation that we discovered. We process information differently, but both of us was expecting the other one to process it the way we process it. I'm expecting her to be logical. She's expecting me to be intuitive. And I'm expecting her to be linear. She's expecting me, to, and, you know, and, and, and I'm expecting her to be... Uh, uh, She's expecting me to be emotional, and I don't go to emotions, I go to problem solving. And that's our nature. So it's not like she's wrong and I'm uh, right, or I'm right and she's wrong. It's that we're different. And so if you couples don't move to the discovery of their difference, which we call differentiation, and accept the difference as real, not as something that you want to change, but because I will never become an intuitive thinker. My brain is not set up that way. Helen will never be a purely rational, logical, linear thinker. Her brain's not set up that way. But I needed to learn to speak succinctly because yeah. I was flooding him with words. Yeah. So you can you can and mitigate he didn't want it. To hear. You can mitigate it, but you can't. And then the second thing was that in that same period of time that she was um, discovering this material that helped us differentiate. We also uh, uh, discovered a, uh, a factor that helped us uh, do some connecting, which was uh, what we now call the zero negativity pledge. Uh, we uh, accidentally, when those serendipitous moments, so while we were on the exit thing and had decided we'd give ourselves, I think, nine months to uh, see what we could do, and if we couldn't do it in nine months, then we're done. Uh, so during that time, we set up a pattern of, of, date, of, t- of doing a date, taking one day a week, going somewhere and doing something together, dinner in, we lived in New Jersey, dinner in New York, and went to a bookstore. <laughs> this, this is kind of a weird story. We said, let's not go to the psychology or philosophy departments, which is our favorite. Uh, let's go to the um, esoteric department and see what... what uh, um, the esoteric literature is and what it would say, and you know, astrology and all that. And so we found uh, a huge book about, it was about this tall, and it was about a thousand pages on uh, relation, astrological relationships, or rela- I don't know what the title was now, but it was, it put together, if you were born in this month and your partner was born in this month, what kind of relationship would you have? 
And you can see that would take a thousand pages to, to cover all of that. So we opened it to, uh, to our signs and the uh, consistent message for my side and for her side was that the bringing together of these two signs, uh, uh, you will be, what is the you word? You are about to decimate your relationship due to the unrelenting scrutiny you give each other. Oh, no. <laughs> and thought, who's watching? How did they know? Yeah. And, and also, our two astrological signs, it's the two hardest signs to get along. Due to the unrelenting scrutiny we give each other, Aquarius and... I'm September. I'll early September. Is that Libra? No, it's right after Libra. I, okay. I forget. But anyway, it's September and February. Six. September 6th. And so, uh, so it was. It, we were destined to have conflict because you know, of that. So we looked at that and said, "Well, why don't we uh, remove that uh, unrelenting scrutiny of each other?" So we decided that we would practice uh, zero negativity, and we uh, got a calendar. And we had a little checkout each day to see how we were doing, and the, we gave ourselves. The question is, could we make it through one day but, yep. where neither of us felt like we were scrutinizing each other negatively, like that we accepted each other, that we were safe in each other? Could we make it through one day? And if we did, we got a smiley face on that day. And if we felt anxious or critiqued by the other, we had a frowny face. We were really trying <laughs> every took, day before took going three to bed. Months took out the to calendar. get a full yeah. day. You had you had to work your way up to it. <laughs> so essentially, that began as you could see. We didn't know at the time how impactful that was on our brains, because we were removing negativity. When you focused on it, it enlarges. And this was, um, you know, back in the uh, '80s, sort of before brain sciences had reached their apogee in the '90s. So we didn't know much about the brain at that time there because the brain was considered fixed until I think the 1990s is called the decade of the brain when neuroplasticity was discovered so this was preceding that but what we were doing unbeknownst to us was actually changing our brains by removing negativity and then begin and starting to say in a systematic way on a daily basis something positive to each other about each other and so uh, at the end of that nine months, all the turmoil had quieted down so much. So we said, hey, I don't think we need to go get a divorce. Why don't we get remarried? So at the uh, 1999, uh, January 31st, uh, December 31st, 1999, we had a big party, a re-celebration, re went to a church, got remarried. And we hadn't divorced, but we did you know, a remarriage ceremony. Had a big party, 250 people there and celebrated when the, uh, they started shooting the fireworks. We were on the Hudson River, and they shoot fireworks from a barge on the Hudson River, so we could see them all firing. So we went out, everybody took all the fireworks and directed them at us, that New York was <laughs> celebrating our remarriage. Oh, that's, so, that's so amazing. That put us all on a trajectory of uh, reconstructing our marriage for the past 22 years. That's how we have worked and what we have now integrated into the couples therapy system is zero negativity and differentiation. Because of Stephen Porges and Harville saying safety is essential yeah. for human thriving, that if the space between needs to be safe and people connect. If yeah. there's anxiety, if I'm afraid of the look in his eye, yeah. or yeah. And afraid he, if he's afraid I'm going to critique him, yeah. I was trying to improve him. Well, and you did. I, and I wasn't even going to charge him. <laughs> I was going to do it for free, but anyway. Yeah. You know, what's what's so cool about your process is that you so clearly evolved as a couple, and it sounds like it actually really deepened your work in your couples therapy model. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, actually, if we could take it just a step back and and have you guys kind of talk about what Imago therapy is, because it sounds like it's really developed and you've deepened the work. Um, but what exactly is Imago therapy? What, what are the principles of Imago therapy? Imago uh, is a, a Latin term for the English word image. And the reason that's important is that Imago began with an analysis of how do, how, why, why are we attracted to the person we're attracted to? 
and then with our background in developmental psychology, we did know that babies construct um, unconsciously images of their parents during the caretaking process. And they, they construct this image, and the image, uh, the primary features of the image is the things the parents did not do correctly because that triggered the baby's pain and anxiety and therefore gave the brain a need to deal with that issue at some point. So most parents don't correct that. So somehow nature set it up that when we are grown, grown up in our late teens and early 20s in our search and find mission, this part of the brain is looking for the thing that it didn't get in childhood in now an adult partner. And when I see you, uh, I go, wow, there she is. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small. And I'll move across the crowded room and we will say hi. And that's because I now see somebody who's similar to the caretaker with whom I did not get my needs met. But it set up the unconscious assumption that that caretaker, but there was always the assumption in the brain that that need had to be met by that caretaker. Or we finally said, well, that can't happen because most caretakers are dead or old or something when this love thing happens. So the brain will accept a reasonable facsimile. So if you're similar to the caretaker with whom I had the biggest difficulty, I will fall in love with you. And I will expect that you will function in the way that caretaker should have functioned, which meant I would have gotten my needs met and we would not be having this conversation. But I'm attracted to you for that. So that's the core thing about Imago is the selection process. So that's, and then we had a stage sequence. The selection process is stage number one. Stage number two is the power struggle. Everybody who has that experience, that experience will go away because the person you fell in love with is the person who cannot meet your needs. And so the frustration in childhood will be repeated in the relationship. So you'll have the problem now called the power struggle, and that's when you go to therapy. And you go to therapy, and, and uh, so what we, uh, what we developed long ago uh, was a, um, a dialogue process uh, that uh, over time took, uh, it took us about 15 years to actually discover and perfect the dialogue process, which is basically, instead of me doing parallel psychotherapy with two people in my office, you know, talking to you, then asking your partner, well, what do you feel about that? What do you think about that? We turned couples toward each other and they talked and we facilitated the conversation and insisted that they dialogue, namely deep listening and validation and empathy, and then, then take turns. And what we discovered was couples began to uh, dissolve their problem because the problem was ruptured connecting. So if they connected, then the problems they were focusing on, like uh, you know, schedules or sex or money or whatever, or the affair went away, or the or affair, domestic wh- whatever violence. it was, w- would go away. So that was the that was the the process, and then Helen comes along and adds a major conceptual device to it called the space between. Yeah, Martin Buber. I had been reading him. I don't know if you know the Jewish mystic, and he said in his book the I Thou, you can treat a person like an I It, but if you treat them like an I Al, an I Thou. Buber says the universal energies of love begins to flow through the two people and into the space between. So here's what we do at our workshops. At the beginning, I step up to the room that has a lot of couples in it and say, now here's what you're going to learn in the workshops. The first thing, we have a new definition of a relationship. A relationship isn't just two people with a history or with something like that. It's two people and the space between, Mm -hmm. and we take pains to say that if the space between is safe, people connect. Mm -hmm. And if there's anxiety in the space between, people distance or disconnect. But anyone can restore safety in the between with four tools. Number one, dialogue. Number two, um, identifying a childhood challenge 
and having learning to have empathy for what they each other experienced in childhood. Uh, number three, um, a commitment to zero negativity. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. So this workshop is gonna teach you how to convert a frustration into a request. You need to learn to ask for what you want. And number four, appreciations, fun, and humor. That um, the neuropathways in your brain um, cannot have both anxiety and humor at the same time. So the more you have laughter and fun in your relationship, the more you relax. And when you relax, you're safe. Yeah, and I, so then we start the workshop. The next 18 hours, we're putting them into... So we work on the space between. We, I don't much care what's inside you. I care how you interact. And as we got clearer and clearer, when we changed this dynamic by the dialogue process, that, that creates safety, then Helen's defenses relax. My defenses relax. We now are vulnerable and we can connect. And when we connect, we have restored what was lost in childhood when the caretakers disconnected from us through their lack of being able to be, to be present. So it's not that somebody solves a problem or does conflict resolution or increases communication skills. It is a communication process, but the fundamental thing, dialogue is a connecting process that makes communication then about whatever differences you have possible so that you can talk about and go beyond your differences. So that's fundamentally the, the therapy processes. And I just want to reiterate, we've been able to see that, that if couples will do those four things that Helen mentioned, they cannot help but have a great relationship because they've removed the toxicity They've added a nutrient called uh, affirmation. They've added empathy for each other. And they have a structured way to have a conversation about any topic, which makes discussing any topic safe. And if couples will do those four things, they'll have the relationship with their dreams. So you don't have to do a lot of exploration, because I discovered over the years, I grew up as an analytic uh, psychotherapist and then brought that into couples therapy. And we discovered that the analysis and the exploration of the background in childhood is interesting and helps you know yourself better, but that doesn't change the way you interact. It just simply helps you know why you're interacting so badly. But mm -hmm. what you really have to do is change the interactive behavior. So just one last thing, which may not be of much interest to your listeners, but, but it will, will be, I think, to you, is that as, a, as a, an academic, I kept trying to figure out how do, we, how, do, how do we make this something other than our experience and our opinion? Uh, how can we make it uh, scientific or grounded in something that? And so what we discovered with that question is that psychotherapy is rooted in uh, classical Newtonian physics in which the in, and is focused on the individual, which is a model after the atom, which is autonomous, separate, unconnected, and randomly interacts. And so psychology is based on uh, classical physics. Well, what we had discovered, there's no theory in psychology for it. So we started looking at quantum, at quantum, and quantum is so hard, so, so difficult. So, and Helen and I had, in fact, 20 years ago, both read two uh, popular books on, on a yeah, when physics. we were dating, the Tao of Physics had come out, and I loved that book, and so we we had loved quantum. But we never never thought of it as relating to therapy. Yeah. In writing this book, we had to say, well, you can't just ground a theory in your clinical experience. You need to, I mean, that's that's the on ramp to it, but it needs to have a, a grounding in nature itself. And so, quantum field theory, we began to explore that. In quantum field theory, we read it enough to know that the leading people in quantum field theory say reality is not a thing, it's not a particle, and you keep breaking down the particles, all you get are more particles. So they're looking for what is reality, and it's not in the particle. They finally said it's in the interaction between the particles that reality mm. is interaction. 
And mm -hmm. I saw, uh, just read this last week, somebody who summarized both relativity theory and, uh, you know, Einstein's relativity theory and quantum theory and said both sciences, we have to conclude, would say, that reality is interaction, not a thing that you can locate, but an interaction. And so therefore, we said, well, the space between is an interaction, so we are now rooting it in the uh, in quantum field theory. I love that. It also romanticizes science in a way, too. It doesn't just bolster the relationship, it, it, it also romanticizes science. I like that. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So. Can I make a point? Please. Can I say one more thing about that? About 20 years ago, we were on a highway in New Jersey, and I said, Harville, Amago, we don't have a definition of the self. And I said, I think the definition of the self should be the particle wave duality. Because in every relationship, we talk in our workshops about one is a minimizer and one is a maximizer. And um, and he never really picked that up, but I was really thinking of quantum a mm -hmm. long time ago yeah. and how it applies. But here is the real reason I'm mentioning that. Harville, in every workshop, begins the workshop with what I call a metaphysics. We don't say that in the workshop, but he goes, hey everybody, welcome to the workshop. Now, let's pause for a moment and look at nature. Think of the sky, the universe, everything is interconnected. All these planets, the moon, everything held up with space. Um, and, um, and there's a grand choreography. I mean, how is everything, it's all interconnected. And then our brains are interconnected and we on, in humanity are interconnected. And then later in the workshop, we talk about um, nature is dyadic. All of nature, hot, cold, dark light. wet, dry. Birth, death. Yes. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so why are we surprised that when we connect uh, that the, the other person is different? Because nature is different. Yeah. And, and I love a phrase of Harville's, incompatibility is the grounds for marriage. Like you marry someone who's different. And what you learn to do is see how the difference can can become additive instead of a problem in your life. It's almost like the universe brings us toward people that help us work through our own material. Exactly. And that the, a difference is reality. You know, that's, it's not like something you get rid of. It difference is reality. And when it shows up in the polarity of a couple, like minimizer, maximizer, uh, Helen has a, uh, uh, a different defense to her childhood wound than I do, and we've been critical of that, but if we'll hold the tension of difference and collaborate about it, we'll create a relationship and interactions that we could not create by ourselves, because it's that tension of the opposites that becomes creatively productive. And most couples, when they get into tension, polarize. Therefore, they lose the, the, the power and value of the tension of the opposites, which is built into nature in order to help you transcend and evolve. But if you polarize, then you descend. You lose that growth thing. So couples have to hold the tension. The question is, how do they do that? And we finally said, well, we actually discovered that 25 or 30 years ago when we developed a dialogue. You hold the tension of the opposites by one person talks, the other person listens, and then you take turns. And you stay with that and you don't go into criticism, you stay in affirmation, and you constellate therefore positive energy in the space between. That grows new brain cells, uh, makes you healthy, increases your immune system, and you have a better marriage. Because when you run into a problem, you know what you're gonna do. You're gonna sit down, you're gonna collaborate and do dialogue, and connect rather than polarize. Hi, Lovelink listeners. Our group practice, Modern Mind, is located in New York City with offices in Brooklyn and Manhattan, offering in-person and virtual psychotherapy. 
We provide individual, couples, and group therapy, as well as ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, in conjunction with a psychiatry prescriber. Therapy is a powerful experience that can transform your life and help you live it to its full potential. We're here to help take you where you want to go. To find out more about our practice, visit www.modernmind.co or email info at modernmind.co to be connected with one of our therapists. So can the two of you give us an example of a dialogue that you've had recently just to sort of bring it into a, a concrete place? Like what is it when there is a tension between the two of you in the space, right? In the space between, how do you navigate that with each other through dialogue? What might you say to each other, and how does that dialogue work? And just to add, on, and just to add on, what might be helpful too is is what would it, what would that negativity look like? Yeah. Well, let me answer about the negativity. It, negativity is anything I say that's not affirming of Helen. Like, uh, Helen, uh, where is my coffee? Is negative. Tone. Uh, there are no bad words there, but the tone is bad. I could have bad words. You. You, you never got my coffee right, uh, or you forgot to bring me my coffee. So that's a negative word with a tone. So it's any, any devaluation of her, any non-acceptance of her behavior. Mm. So, uh, so what I could do when the coffee comes in and it's not hot enough and so forth, I said, hey, thank you for bringing that coffee. That's really wonderful, and I feel cared about and loved by it. And I would also like it if it were a little warmer. And I'll go do that, or could you do that? Then we don't polarize, we solve the problem, but we never ruptured the connection. Does that to, make sense? To do, so to maybe do we could what do they're something. saying, so why don't I come to you? Okay, with a, and start with, with the, the start with the appointment. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, that, everything starts with an appointment. Because you always have to start with an appointment. So I'm going to give him feedback on something he's done that I don't like. Oh, no. An appointment meaning like you start with an, uh, an agreement that you're going to meet at a specific time to talk about something? Apart. Yeah. If okay. I want to tell him something positive, if I want to say something negative, but how, the way Harville phrase it, Harville has his own movie running in his mind, where just because, I, just because I have something to say to him that could be positive or negative, he, he's occupied. And we have to say, Harville, are you available? I just got really good news from one of the kids. It'll take about five minutes. Today. Are you available to hear it now? And he might say, Helen, I'm in the middle of a new part of the theory. Uh, how about in 30 minutes? I go, okay, I can't wait to tell you. It could be positive or negative. So I can say, yes, I'm available now or later, but when later? I have, have to be to clear. When. I have to say 10 minutes and then I show up in 10 minutes because that's reliability. Or four hours mm, or, or four I'm hours. really tied doesn't, up doesn't today. Matter. How about tomorrow at nine? Would you mind no. waiting till tomorrow? And then we can have a dialogue if I'm waiting, willing to wait till tomorrow morning. But anyway, I mean, but... If I'll get his undivided attention, I'll wait. But I then have to show up when I said I would. She doesn't have right. to come looking for me. And be totally available to listen. And totally available at that time. So it's like, like she doesn't have to chase me. I said, I can't do it now. I will do it later at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. I come in and say, Helen, it's 9 o'clock. I'm available for what you want to talk about. Okay. How are you? So I'll start so with the appreciation. Harville, um... Uh, we had an exchange about coffee uh, in the kitchen a little bit ago, and uh, and there was something uncomfortable about it for me. And do you have about five minutes where I could tell you okay. what the issue is a problem yeah. for me? So I'm available now. Okay. Yeah. So if I got it, we had an exchange about coffee that, that made you uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and you want to share that exchange with me. Mm-hmm. Sure, I'm available. So... Want to take a couple deep breaths? Well, um, and make eye contact. You were and make eye contact. Mm-hmm. So you were just saying, "I want another cup of coffee." And uh, where's the coffee? Because I want another cup. Uh, do you remember saying that? I remember. Yeah. So, so what you're remembering is that I said, uh, "I want another cup of coffee." Where's Where's another cup of coffee? Am I getting that? Yes. Yeah. I said something. So like I just want you to know those words are great to ask. Where's so you, so you want me coffee? to know the words were great? 
So it was great that you said the words, yeah. but there was a look in your eye and a oh. tone of voice that made me feel like you were criticizing me. So the words were okay, but I had a tone in my voice and a look in my eyes that made you feel criticized. Did I get that? Yeah. Is there more about that? Well, there is actually more. There is more. Okay. I think unconsciously you often had this look in your eye and your tone, and it would mean the world to me if, when we were together, that you would look at me with opened eyes mm. instead of little eyes, and just spoke, um, look, look at me with love in your eyes and with a wonderful tone of voice. Okay. So let me see if I got that. So the more is that you think unconsciously that I, I, I hope I'm getting this, that unconsciously I have a, uh, can you say that again, what's in my unconscious? I want you just to say, I'm not judging your unconscious. You're not judging my unconscious, but you think in my unconscious, but I'm not aware. you look at me, that I look at with, you. With sort of narrow eyes. With narrow eyes. And a tone of voice, it makes voice. me feel like you're upset. And maybe you're upset okay, with me. So, so, and so when you're talking to me, would you look at me with yeah. loving eyes and a loving tone of voice when okay. you talk? Okay, so if I'm getting this, when I look at you with a certain look in my eye, a little like a glare or a tone no, of voice. No, when you're talking to me, just look at me with loving eyes. Oh, okay, so I'm getting this. When I'm talking to you, what you would like, so you're making a request, you'd like me when I'm talking to you to look at you with a soft look in my eye and with a warm and kind tone of voice. Am I getting it now? Yeah, would that, would that be a reasonable request? I'm sorry, wondering if, that's, if I feel that that's a reasonable request. Um, yeah, I think that's very reasonable. Thank you for sharing that with me so, so that, uh, that, would, that will help me be more sensitive to you and help me grow as well. So well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for that feedback. That one little thing, I would just feel so much more safe in your presence. So if I gave you that one little thing, you'd feel so much more safe mm -hmm. in my presence. Thank well, you I so really much. want you to feel safe in my presence. So I will look at you with the soft eyes and speak to you in a kind tone of voice. Thank you. And if I fail to do that at any point, I'd invite you to remind me that you want that and that I didn't do it. Okay. Would that be okay? I'm feeling very seen and cared about. Thank you. You're feeling seen and cared about. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. Beautiful. So, so there's a there's a process. There's you schedule an appointment. You turn to each other. You look at each other. The person shares, and after each share, um, Harville, you kind of um, repeated it back, asking if that's right. If there's any more, Helen, you expressed everything that you were feeling and then there's a request a kind of a need yeah i converted a frustration into a request or sort of a scare into what i i get scared and here's what i would like yeah and so that's a process with one that's one process to deal go from a frustration to a request she could have just um said um i'd like to give you an appreciation and there's no request it's just a sharing but the, the, when, when I'm repeating back, that's technically what we call mirroring. And when I say, is there more, that's techni technically called um, curiosity. And what we found is that if you go to, is there more about that, that you do something to your partner's brain, which is the brain says, oh, he's not going to shift to himself and put me in a vulnerable space, the brain says I'm safe with him because he is interested in me. Right. Right? So the mm -hmm. subtlety and unspoken part of the process is as powerful as the overt. I imagine it also takes a lot of training in the receiving partner. Like if there is a strong reaction, because I, I can make up a lot of couples that I'm seeing where not only would it take time to get there, but also there would be a kind of natural defensiveness. Yes. Well, so, see, this so, is, this is yeah. why he, you're, he's not going to listen to me unless I make an appointment and the dialogue process has sentence stamps. So he doesn't have to talk to me until he's available to pick up the manual, 
listen to what I said. Then he has to he has to mirror me back, <laughs> and then he say has to say, did I get it? And then he says, is there more? And so, but he he's not going to do it spontaneously. Yeah, he has to. It's and I don't want to. I don't want to hear his spontaneous reaction. I want him to have the sentence stems, and, yeah. and then all of this is about developing a healthy brain. All of those sentence stems develop the cordial, the higher cordial structure of the brain. Takes you out of the Stephen Porges danger vagal net reactive. I hate you. <laughs> Why are you saying that again? I don't like that. Stop. Stop it. <laughs> and you're dangerous. <laughs> That's the what we call the crocodile brain, and then every every person has a wise owl brain, and the wise owl brain is where two people, when they talk, they can collaborate, cooperate, and co-create. And co-create. The and lower brain is look, I'm right, and you're me. wrong, yep. and uh, I am nice to you. You're the look in your eye. That is not nice to me, and yep. change it. And I'm right, you're wrong, uh, so and, and then I win, you lose. Well, the upper brain can create a win-win. Both people can win. And so the dialogue process puts people in the wise owl brain, both of them. Even before he starts, he's got to do the sentence stems. And he's up here instead of being reactive. Is there a bit of a like fake it till you make it quality? Well, we that is one form and we have used that, but I've come up with something I like better. Mm -hmm. This is a skill. And skills, let's say tennis. Just pick tennis. I like tennis because it's a two-person skill. Um, you're going to come. I'm your coach, and you're coming to therapy. I'm your coach. Uh, or if you go out, you're going to have to hold the tennis racket in a way that's uncomfortable because a comfortable hold of a tennis racket will hit the ball either in front of the net or off the court. You, can, you just try. You cannot hit the ball just over the net holding the racket the way your arm would hold it naturally. You have to turn it just enough, which makes it look like it's going to hit hit it into the ground. You have to adjust enough and hold your arm just right to bring through. You have to do that until that muscle is trained so that you can do that spontaneously. Mm-hmm. So it is a fake it till you make it, but it's also practice till your brain, I mean, until your muscle changes. That changes a neuron in your brain. So eventually, you'll go to the tennis court, you'll pick up the racket, and your hand will automatically go, it's got a racket. It, you can't do this. I'm sorry, you can't, you can't do this. You gotta do this. And now you can play tennis. So if you want to connect, you have to learn what connects. And what connects is <clears throat> non-judgmental listening, uh, non-critical talking and uh, and and um, and uh, communicating at, at, in that process, communicating around and beyond your differences. Because you're going to have differences; they are not going to go away. The wish that they go away is a pathology, <laughs> because nature is nature, and when you want something not to be what it is, then you're the you're the problem. Um, and but nature, nature's that. So it is training, uh, Simone. You do have to learn it. And we have, as Helen said, a series of sentence stems. And couples and therapists hate this process when they hear it. When they practice it, to a man, to a woman, to a couple, to a therapist, say, it's the first time I've ever felt heard in my life. And wow. so... so well, they feel heard because they're not talking while their partner's talking. Because right. uh, yeah. usually conversations are two people talking and nobody listening. So in dialogue, one person talks and they talk without criticism. The other person listens without judgment. And then they can connect around and beyond their differences. And then they say, oh, gosh, it feels safe now to be vulnerable. Well, that's what you want because that's the on-road and the precondition to intimacy. And safe, without safety, there is no intimacy. There may be um, intimate interactions, but it won't be emotional intimacy. Our uh, vision is that um, in 30 years, we will teach safe conversations, which is a new, just a new phrasing of Imago Dialogue, because we discovered Imago Dialogue works anywhere. 
It doesn't, it, so it shouldn't be left in the clinic. It should be brought into the world. And that's what we did about 10 years ago when we launched the Safe Conversations movement. In 30 years, our goal is that we will teach Safe Conversations to 3.8 billion people, oh, uh, which, wow. which, is, wow. which is the tipping point of the world's population in 2050. If you reach a tipping point, then whatever system that is collapses and reorganizes at a higher level. If the input is cohesive, if the input is, uh, is chaotic, it collapses and disintegrates, which is what happened to the Roman Empire. You know, the, the final input into the Roman Empire was from the Vandals and the Huns, and so the empire collapsed. So, what, so our goal is that. So we have a training program that we invite people to come, and we will teach you how to teach people dialogue. And then mm. you can go out and do that uh, as a volunteer. You can go out and do it on your own. You can teach it to others. You can make a business out of it and make it be a revenue stream for you. It could be your own, your own life. So we need about you know, 10 or 20 million people trained to do this, and our goal is to do that. And we have a digital platform that we've set up. We have a training program. This already got 500 people who've been through the training program. And so mm. what was a therapy has become a social movement. Yeah. So and such important work you two are doing. Well, yeah. yeah, it is work. I mean, I get up every morning. I don't have to ask, what am I going to do today? <laughs> well, there's still about 3.8 billion people who haven't heard about safe conversations yet. So how can we get a little more out? But really making an impact on a global scale. So thank you guys so much for being here with us. We so appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. And we wish you well in your work. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. Mm-hmm.